So last year, controversy erupted online, believe it or not, and in the U.S. military. An officer serving in Afghanistan posted a photo of himself in his U.S. Military Academy uniform, showing the bottom of the inside of his hat in which the phrase was written, communism will win. Spencer Rapone became an instant meme afterward, the commie troop. This week, he finally left the army slash was kicked out. That means he can finally talk on the record without fear of reprisal to the two Sams. And that is what he did. So to start, I just wanted to sort of go over the uh, rough outline of your transformation into a meme, uh, as it were. <laughs> so w w when did you decide to write Communism Will Win on your cadet uniform? When did you decide to then post it? And when did the shit start raining down on you after that? Okay, so uh, I wrote uh, the Communism Will Win message inside of my hat actually the night before graduation. Um, typically at West Point, there's just kind of like silly tradition where at the end of the academic year, the graduating class will write a little message inside of their hats, uh, like a little note or something, because what happens is uh, after graduation, you know, everyone tosses their hats in the air um, and then like different kids and families will go and pick them up. And so <laughs> a lot of times you'll have... Uh, you know, it'll be like, oh, these last four years of my life, I've learned a lot. Maybe you could do this someday. And then they'll put like $20 in there. It's, it's really just, you know, you know, indoctrinating little children into the capitalist war machine at a young age. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? Imagine if a little kid picks this up and whether he's, you know, from one of the, the typical, you know, West Point legacy families or just random kid. I'm like, you know, it'd be an interesting, uh, interesting concept to, to see come to fruition. Uh, but that aside... It was more so me just rip, riffing on uh, the nonsense. I mean, West Point has a lot of dumb traditions, and that was one I thought was particularly silly. Um, and it was like kind of my own last like f you to this you know horrible institution, which like tortures all of its students. Um, but then when people graduate, they end up loving it. Hmm. Uh, so I had written that in there, and you know uh, some of my friends who are you know with it, who themselves espouse left certain leftist politics. Of course, I won't give their names up here. They were all about it, and so, you know, I circulated the picture among us, and that was in May of 2016. You know, that's when I graduated. Hmm. Um, and I kind of held on to them on my own. I think I might have posted them, or the, the, the pic of the Chase shirt and the communism will win. I might have posted it on Facebook and Instagram, like, I don't know, like a year after that, uh, just from, you know, myself and some others to see, but obviously it didn't gain traction until uh, September of last year, September 2017, when... You know the the anthem national anthem debate was starting up again, and of course that had already started in September 2016. And I was inspired in part by Rory Fanning. He was um, an ex Army Ranger himself, and he started the whole hashtag Veterans for Kaepernick deal. And he took a picture of himself at a Cubs game uh, in the summer of uh, 2016, where he was wearing his old battle dress uniform blouse uh, and held a sign saying veterans for Kaepernick as he sat during the anthem. Um, hmm. So, you know, a year later, uh, you know, Trump's commenting on it. Uh, a lot of the, you know, reactionaries are filling their diapers about it. Uh, and so I finally decided, like, you know what, you know, someone like Colin Kaepernick, who put his skin in the game, who essentially, you know, just got railroaded out of his career and possibly his livelihood, you know, he decided to take that risk. And I was like, I, you know, had been holding my own radical views for quite some time now. And for me, it just seemed like a good opportunity 
uh, and an opening uh, to express that uh, through a form of solidarity. And, you know, I, I did the veteran for Kaepernick and I was debating on the picture I should use. Cause I have a few of me in uniform and I was like, well, why not? You know, the one that also espouses my my political beliefs. So that was essentially, you know, the thought process behind it and, and the genesis of the uh, the whole commie troop situation. So you said you had some other uh, comrades in the military, leftist friends. I was going to ask, are you the only commie troop or are you just the only commie troop that tweeted about it? Yeah, I would say I'm the only commie troop that tweeted about it uh, at this juncture. Now, um, I don't want to project my own politics onto others because there are varying degrees of, of leftism and socialism, as we know. But there is a larger amount of those sympathetic, you know, to the politics that, you know, we all spouse um, than, you know, the general population might think uh, at first. So, yeah, I'm probably the only one who's vocal about it. Um, actually, uh, when I first tweeted it, uh, an NCO who I became friends with, uh, we were together at Ranger School. He actually posted a picture of himself uh, in uniform, in his dress uniform, uh, and he was holding his cover. And with that said, uh, or his, his hat covers military parlance for hats, really stupid. But um, he was holding his hat up, and there was a sign in it, or he had a message in it that said, Black Lives Matter. You know, he's a black man himself. I grew up in pretty harsh conditions in uh, New Orleans, and I got to know him really well in our training. And when he, when he saw that, you know, we very close friends, he decided to show his support and solidarity. And of course, uh, people notified his chain of command somehow, uh, and he actually ended up getting, he got a smaller deal of punishment uh, for it than I did, and I think he ended up deleting it. So he was, he's good to go now, and he's still a good friend of mine. I'm in, I'm in touch with him, and I understand why he might have, you know, back down a little bit because he does have a family. I do not. So I understand there's a difference uh, in terms of our relations to other people and such. But yeah, I mean, there's him. Um, there are my West Point classmates. And then there's a number of uh, soldiers and different other service members and military members who reached out to me uh, during the course of uh, the whole situation since last September and have expressed their support and how they're grappling with it. Some are filing for conscientious objector status and others kind of want to wait it out a little bit longer and i understand everyone's reasoning across the board um ultimately what i was hoping to do is at least let people know that they don't have to continue taking you know uh orders from these horrible you know generals and higher ranking officers that just force them into these situations and cause them not only to inflict uh you know inhumane acts on others whether by their own action or by directing others but also just dehumanizing their own uh, humanity. Uh, and so by posting that and, and the reaction I got, uh, I, I think I've at least moved the needle a little bit in accomplishing that task. Were you surprised by the reaction you got? And uh, I mean, what, what would you ascribe to that reaction? I guess you're saying this happened with the whole flag debate. Maybe that yeah. was what, what, what propelled it. But were you surprised it got the sort of reaction that it did? Um, so I knew, uh, I knew when I posted it just because of, uh, how high profile the debate was that particular weekend, I knew it would draw some kind of, uh, reaction. I didn't, I didn't foresee it, uh, being to this level, uh, making like national headlines and also, um, international in some cases. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was surprising in one sense, uh, but I wasn't too taken aback because I'm familiar enough with, uh, with social media and particularly Twitter. So I know how these things can mm, kind of catch on. 
so, I mean, when the, in- the uh, whole incident started to kind of gain traction and blow up more and more, I was like, I, I guess I was mostly prepared for it. At first, it was a little bit difficult, but I really wasn't too phased by it all that much, to be honest. And it kind of, not that I saw the future or anything, but it kind of played into like a certain plan or an opening I saw and being able to voice my resistance and find a way to get out of this, you know, imperialist war machine hellscape I've inhabited for the past eight years of my life. So uh, we, we will definitely get back to uh some of your personal experiences and, and, and why the U S military is a part of a hellscape in a, uh, uh, an institution that quite frankly is awful. Uh, <laughs> I don't know of course. if I could say it, but I, I deeply agree with for, you for my, uh, for my own personal understanding here. What, uh, at what point did they start actually like bringing the hammer down on you? Did they pull you off the front lines? To, say, uh, to, to scold you for your post? So uh, I posted that on um, a Sunday evening. And the next week I was going into the field. Um, my battalion was running what's called a live fire, which is where um, different platoons go out. And they go through like a simulated exercise where they have to fire and maneuver and, and move down a range, you know, to practice their battle drills and tactics. And I had only been at the unit for a couple months so i got tasked with planning it so i had to oversee it make sure it ran smoothly and just you know fill in the blanks wherever i was needed out there um so we had gone out to the field um monday morning and of course i tweeted it sunday night uh and it had gained its initial traction but it really started to pick up right when i was in the field and i was getting notifications from people and then um task and purpose had you know, picked up on it and released an article comparing me to uh, Alejandro Villanueva. You know, he's a lineman for the Pittsburgh Steelers. um, And he had been the one that came out of the tunnel to um, stand for the anthem, Uh, you know. What a dipshit. Yeah, in complete lack of solidarity with the rest of his teammates. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, so there's an article comparing us and how we both – graduated from west point we both were from the first ranger battalion and like how this is what makes america great i was like it's silly but i was like you know what at least this guy isn't shitting on me but you know then something unexpected happened and once that got picked up by a lot of different outlets that's when things started to spiral and you got the different uh like insane people from um like daily caller and all, all of these weirdo um like so-called right-wing journalist sites where they just like they just like rip out different quotes and different statements from various articles and try to put together this whole scaremongering uh, deal where now it's this imminent threat to you know national security and such um, and so so then things started to pick up Monday evening and Tuesday morning you know we'd woken up at like like fucking like I'm oh, sorry am I allowed to swear on here? yeah you are you, yeah uh, okay of sweet, yeah. Um, so uh, I'd woken up like at 5.30 and we were going to do like our initial brief before the first platoon was going to go out and execute their live fire. And um, the uh, the operations um, uh, officer, he pulled me aside and he was just like, you know, uh, Spencer, can you come speak with me a moment? I was like, sure. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck, here we, here we go. And uh, he was like, um, so I hear you're a fan of Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> I was like, well, I was like, yeah, sir. I, you know, I think he's a great player, but also has a lot to say, and um, I appreciate him standing up uh, for 
those who suffer under the heel of police brutality and white supremacy in this country. He's like, oh, ah, I see. He's like, well, you realize uh, this is starting to gain attraction and we're going to have to do something about this. I was like, yeah, I understand, sir. But I said I I voiced it in my own personal capacity uh, and I stand by my you know ability to do that. And he was just like, I don't care. Um, shut up. We're going to discuss this later. And then so we go down, the first platoon executes their live fire, and then we're all like debriefing at the end. And I just see all like the higher ups, like my battalion commander, battalion sergeant major. <laughs> they're all kind of huddling together. And my battalion sergeant major, uh, he pulls out his phone and puts it in my battalion commander's face and is like, wow, I don't believe it. And then my battalion commander was like, oh, that's not real. And I was like, and then they were like, is this real? And it showed, um, the tweet, I, I tweeted this like back in July of last year. It was like my uniform with my Democratic Socialist of America membership card. And I said I like had won this in the or I'd got issued my combat infantryman's badge in the posting war of July 2000. <laughs> like something I like completely say, like, how dare you say this, this and that. And I was just like, well, I was like, well, Sergeant Major, do you understand what irony is? And then they just, you know, came on age and laid <laughs> I mean, because at this point, I knew the jig was up, and I was just like, yep, yeah, we're, if we're going to do this, we might as well go all in. And so one thing led to another, and a few hours later, I was um, you know, told to pack up my stuff, and they, uh, they shuttled me back in uh, to the main post, like the garrison, and I went to meet with my attorney, and you know, we discussed things, and that's when the whole uh, – situation of me being under investigation uh came to light and i was i was read my rights um told to delete the posts and uh that you know my security clearance was suspended uh and you know a couple days later i was taken off the promotion list for a first lieutenant and then from there i was just under investigation for a series of months and uh, a week later it actually got pretty quiet and i really didn't hear anything much about it um for several months what exactly were you under investigation for? What was the stated infraction being a communist and uh, talking about yeah, it? Or Yeah, so they, they never explicitly, uh, well, they never explicitly said it was because I was a communist because obviously it's not illegal. It's, there, nowhere is it illegal to be a communist uh, in the military. Um, I, I think maybe 30, 40 years ago, there might have been some question like they ask if you've ever been a member of the Communist Party. But in the post-Cold War Army, that really wasn't a thing. Uh, so I, it was it was a, it was various charges um, ranging from, um, you know, conduct unbecoming of an officer. That's kind of the catch all. It's like a dragnet. If you do anything wrong, I could just say it's that. Um, but also uh, contemptuous remarks uh, towards public figures or uh, high ranking officers. So like me telling field grade officers, they have, you know, smooth brains or, you know, calling <laughs> Trump a dipshit, it's like stuff like that. You know, they kind of had lumped that in with it. Um, and then, uh, what they call subversive political activity. That's like the, the terminology they use now. Um, and so that was because of me touting my, uh, membership of uh, DSA. Yeah. So you mentioned a subversive organization. Yes. Yes. Right. You, very subversive. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about general diaper filling. We've seen some diaper filling over this. Oh, yeah. In Washington, uh, specifically on the Senate side of the U.S. Capitol. Indeed. Uh, with one senator, Marco Rubio. Uh, yeah. At what point did he get involved? And after he got involved, did you notice any difference in how you were being treated? 
Yeah, so he got involved, I want to say, about a week after um, everything first came to light. And I'd already gotten back from the field and had been issued my attorney and been in talks with him. Um, and when it first came to be, uh, there was a, a, an upsurge in uh, media uh, about my uh, media activity about my case. And I went to talk with my attorney and he said it actually wasn't that big of a deal because at first I thought I was actually quite pleased because there's this thing in the UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice, called uh, Unlawful Command Influence, UCI. And I was hoping that because Rubio had interfered that, you know, we might be able to claim that this is an example of UCI should it come to like any type of adversarial trial. Uh, but at the end of the day, it really wasn't that big of a deal, I guess, which is kind of like a cell phone on Rubio's part, because number one, the memo he issued, like, just shows a complete lack of understanding of the situation. Like, not only did he call for, like, uh, for the military to revoke my commission, they, he also called for them to revoke my diploma, which, like, isn't a thing, I don't <laughs> think, anywhere in academia. I mean, that's like like going back in time and, and siphoning out all of the knowledge I, I took in the different classes uh, in undergrad. <laughs> So it's really strange how he said that. And uh, I think the other side of it is that, you know, Marco Rubio has just been so thoroughly discredited uh, as a legitimate uh, political actor in this country. I mean, by that point, he'd have what the, the, the drink in the glass of water incident getting owned on TV by a dementia ridden game show host. And then uh, recently, you know, teenagers completely uh, obliterating him. So, yeah, it didn't really have much of effect. Um I, I think, like, on the surface, it didn't, I'm sure, you know, and I don't have any proof of this right now. I'd have to file, you know, FOIA eventually. But I think there's little doubt that Rubio's influence was felt by the, the top brass, you know, the different generals who are West Point graduates and, the, like, the West Point associates of graduates. Because that's, that's the main thrust of this. Um, you know, my analysis and my attorneys kind of were the same in that. Part of what made this such a, a hot button topic is obviously communism is a word that has been propagandized against and slandered in the United States for the past 100 years. Um, and the fact that I did that as a West Point graduate, you know, that place graduates, you know, some of the most reactionary, obsequious individuals in positions of power in this country, um, whether you stay in and become a general or you go work for like some Fortune 500 company or some defense contractor. Uh, so all of them definitely were trying to get the ball rolling on punishing me. And Rubio probably just added fuel to the fire. Uh, but at the end of the day, Rubio himself, uh, I, I don't think is, is too much of a factor. And I, I don't think he ever has been in his life. <laughs> so it was kind of in keeping with the uh, with his typical uh, engagement with politics. Um, but I mean, it, it still it still shows um, the priorities of uh, most of the, you know, senators, uh, representatives, and, you know, the priorities of the high-ranking officials in the military that, you know, it, a U.S. senator is commenting on the affairs of a junior officer who happened to voice his political beliefs on social media. Earlier, you said that you had hoped that this would start a chain of events that uh, had a favorable outcome to you. You didn't yeah. say that you were necessarily predicting the future, but... Uh, you wanted to get out of this imperial war machine that was committing inhumane acts. Yeah. How did it work out? 
So, um, it was pretty stressful because I, um, you know, there's a couple aspects to it. Uh, number one, just my daily life at work kind of became, it was already shitty, but it kind of became even more of a living hell. Cause when you're under the threat of investigation, uh, you're, you're under a microscope. So any small slip up, even if you like were to show up late for work or, you know, get a speeding ticket, anything like that, you know, it becomes even more hyper intensified and they could just lump it under this investigation. Be like, Oh look, here's another example of him not upholding the standard. You know, that's the, that's like one of the terms that, you know, the stand, you know, you're an officer, you have to set the standard, maintain it. And so any small slip up then becomes, you know, far worse. Uh, so not only that, but I didn't get to, you know, voice my side of the uh, events. Um, because from a strategic standpoint, anything I would have said, they would have easily used against me in the investigation or in future matters pertaining to my case. And so I kind of had to remain silent. Uh, I had, you know, I had to put my Twitter account on private. I couldn't really do anything on social media outside of communicating with people through, excuse me, direct messages. So that was just really frustrating because I have all these morons just saying terrible things about me. And, and a lot of, you know, you get the classic death threats, uh, you know, like go kill yourself. You know, I hope you rot in Leavenworth, which didn't phase me, but I was just like pissed. I couldn't say anything back to any of these, uh, jackasses so that was frustrating um and so it kind of was like because it was nine months i just had to sit around and, and hope nothing uh would happen now eventually i kind of started to lose my patience with remaining silent so i'd, I'd throw something out there now and then which uh once the investigation came to a head around december and january you know they had listed all these charges against me the ones i already said and had like an entire like docket of my tweets I made that were considered subversive, like just hundred page document is insane. And I got yes. issued. Oh yeah. No, dude, maybe we wild. should FOIA that. We would all want that to happen to us though. At one point, obviously the right. circumstances weren't good, but I would love someone to present to Your me Honor. a dossier of my own tweets that are considered oh, yeah. subversive. Your Honor, I would like to direct the jury's attention to exhibit right. number <laughs> 69 420 <laughs> no but that's that's literally it literally i think there was something in the order of 170 exhibits in this uh investigation packet <laughs> it's astonishing how many of yeah. those included uh pig poop balls oh yeah i'm, I'm that's featured in there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> any, yeah, any goatsies uh, say again any goatsies Oh, I, I sh yeah, that's that's old school. That'd have been a deep cut. Maybe some tub girl in there too, <laughs> lemon party. I I wanted to. At the end of the day, like there's a couple times I I did like uh, err on the side of caution, probably to my benefit. Because one, I wanted to tweet something at Rubio about drinking a glass of water when he first <laughs> tried, you know, flexing. And two, I wanted to say actually I'm a member of Lemon Party, not a subversive. <laughs> but I, but I, I decided, you know, discretion is a better part of valor. But yeah, so the investigation is over. I get issued a, what's called a go more, which is a, a general officer a memorandum of reprimand. But at that point, I knew I was like, well, it's a matter of time before I get out. So I tried submitting my resignation back in February. Um, and this was what's called a conditional resignation. Uh, and so I said, you know, I'll, you know, resign my commission, just, you know, pack my bags and leave so long as you give me nothing less than a general discharge you know i wasn't even asked for an honorable and i waited several weeks and that got kicked back a few months later uh two months later actually i think it was in april when they kicked it back and said no 
you're going to go to a board of inquiry, uh, which is it's not a court martial, but it's a similar, you know, adversarial trial type setting. It's just administrative. So the worst I could be issued there is another than honorable discharge. You, you can only receive a bad conduct discharge, a dishonorable discharge or a dismissal by court martial. Yeah. Um, so I, they gave me the option of going to a board of inquiry or, you know, I could resign. Uh, and so uh, I also in that time frame got issued another general officer memorandum of reprimand because <laughs> I had tweeted, you know, that Rex Tillerson was going to fuck the Budweiser Clydesdale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not, you can't make this up. And then they just had a couple other things I said in there. So that was my second go more in so many months. Uh, and so I was like, well. I really don't want to do this anymore. I was like, and I knew that the board of inquiry my, and my attorney told me to, because what happens is the, like the jury is, um, like three senior ranking officers. So it would have been like oh, a one God. full bird colonel and two lieutenant colonel. I was like, I'm not going to fucking do that. They and don't then, get irony. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, they don't get irony. And it just would have been them, uh, you know, telling me how horrible I was. I didn't uphold it and I didn't want to waste my time. So I deliberated on it for a while, and then I ultimately submitted my resignation in May, and it was, of course, uh, accepted a few weeks ago. And uh, now here I am, a, a free man. So uh, you wrote about this for uh, your your piece for uh, Truth Dig that came out when you uh, sort of coincided with you leaving the Army, but I was wondering if you could talk about at what point in your service, uh, you became a leftist and, uh, what that was like and how you sort of interacted with the army, uh, after that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm from, uh, Western PA, um, just Northwest of Pittsburgh from Newcastle. And we're kind of a, we're like a quintessential example of a Rust Belt city that kind of got ripped to shreds by neoliberal economic policies the past uh, you know, so many decades. And at the end of high school, I mean, I performed well, but I was kind of burnt out with it and wanted to do something different. And I also really couldn't afford college. You know, I'm one of six children. So I decided maybe, uh, you know, I should look into the military. Um, and I tried applying to West Point, didn't get accepted. Uh, so I was like, well, I'll enlist and see what happens. And so I enlisted, uh, into the infantry. Then, um, I, you know, I, I performed decently well in basic training, so I got offered to go to the Rangers. And so I went through airborne school, went through the what's called RASP, the Ranger Assessment Selection Program, and made it through there. But in the course of those events, it became increasingly, like, uh, obvious to me how the military functions. And although I was naive at age 18 for joining in the first place, you know, I always had a critical mind about me. So... So it just didn't, the way the military function never sat well with me, but I kept telling myself, you know, I just got to make it through this training, make it through, you know, these series of events and it'll get better. It'll get better once I get to my unit, once I get experience and I never really did. Um, and there is a few glaring examples that stick out to me. Um, for example, when I first got to RASP, we had to, uh, adopt what was called an airborne ranger in the sky, which is you'd have to go online and they made you print out like a an airborne ranger who died and, you know, combat duty and you had to learn about him. And, you know, it was just kind of just it, 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 kind of like this crypto fascist, the fetishization of death. It's really strange. But, you know, 19 years old, I just got All right. So that I did it. It sounds pretty and fucked up. Yeah. It, yeah it, it's pretty it bizarre. Yeah. I was like, I don't understand. But OK. And I was like, we're really kind of just essentializing these people. But one thing they told us was 
they said, uh, here's a hint. Um, don't make it, uh, don't choose Pat Tillman. And I was like, huh, I wonder why they'd say that. Um, and so <laughs> I deployed to Afghanistan, uh, a couple months after grad- graduating from RASP. Um, and I'm the new guy. So I was, you know, made the assistant machine gunner and a gun squad. So I had to like carry all the extra ammo, all the extra, uh, like the, the tripod, the spare barrel and so on. And, you know, when I was overseas, you know, as part of a ranger platoon, we'd go out on direct action missions every night. And of course I was involved in some, uh, kinetic engagements, but a lot of the times, you know, we just would walk around through a village and just tear it to shit. Um, you know, no shots would be fired, but we'd still, you know, just grab like these innocent farmers, like tie them up, you know, put flex cuffs on them, bag them and take them back as detainees, which is just, you know, euphemism for prisoners. And just, just the way we treated, uh, the, uh, you know, Afghans and their country and their culture was just abhorrent. And all of my fellow Rangers just, they just looked forward every night to, to going out and having a chance to inflict violence on, you know, some of the poorest, most marginalized people on earth. Uh, and of course, as a 19 year old, it was difficult to express those frustrations without, you know, just being called, uh, you know, uh, like weak or like a pussy, you know, that, that was a term that always use, of course, if you did anything that wasn't about being, you know, a macho shithead and beating the fuck out of people. So I went through my deployment. Um, it was a pretty traumatizing experience for one, for multiple reasons. I'm um, not just, you know, the whole combat scenario. In fact, that was <clears throat> as difficult as that was, you know, like experiencing that for me, it was, it was the constellation of forces of not only participating in, uh, you know, combat as part of a ranger platoon, but also just how, my fellow rangers just had no conscience about it. they just didn't care they just loved the idea of being an occupying force and i just could not understand how if you had any shred of humanity how you didn't at least question some of these baseline assumptions um and i know some of them at least had to deep down have you know at least some degree of divergence but you know none, none of them would ever show it and they just want they were the elite they're the tip of the spear and they're getting the job done and you know, our battalion commander told us that this was this would be the summer that Al Qaeda died, and spoiler alert, uh, or the, the Taliban, Al Qaeda, Haqqani Network, whatever one. You know, they're like, this is going to be when we eradicate them, and of course, that never came to be, <laughs> and mm-hmm. Afghanistan's worse off now. Um, so I get back, um, and this is 2011, uh, August 2011, and I happen. You know, I, I'm trying to process all of these experiences I had, and I happened to catch a documentary called the The Tillman Story, uh, and it, it chronicles how, you know, the United States government uh, covered up, you know, Tillman's death, Pat Tillman's death by friendly fire, and they did it to sell the Iraq War. Um, and between reading up on Pat Tillman's situation and how he actually was a pretty outspoken leftist, he had a correspondence with Noam Chomsky. From there, you know, I started reading Noam Chomsky. Um, there was also another figure, uh, that was interviewed for the documentary named Stan Goff. And he was an over 20, 20 year plus veteran of the military, of the army and special operations. And he got out and became an anti-war socialist activist. So I read some of his writings and from there, you know, I started to dive into Marx and, and some of these other, uh, leftist thinkers and start to crystallize, I, I guess, um, uh, a conception of what I had experienced, my rule in it, and in an adequate way to critique it. Um, so, I- I- if I can cut in for a sec, 
Sure. Uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of these tweets uh, where leftists sort of scoff at the commie troop meme. Right. And uh, think that, you know, criticize yourself or your, you for your service. But it, it kind of sounds like you agree with a lot of them and that you I do have a lot of regrets about joining the military. I do. And I understand um you know, that knee-jerk reaction to kind of scoff at, you know, a West Point graduate. Uh, I get it. I mean, I, I despise West Point and what it stands for. I mean, that institution still commemorates, you know, the Confederacy, specifically Robert E. Lee. So I have no uh, qualms about people critiquing that. But I was still kind of in a uh, an early development of my, you know, political convictions and how I viewed the world. Um, and... You know, I was still 19. Not that you can't be aware at that age. Of course, many are. But I, I still was trying to fully formulate how I viewed things. So I got an opportunity. I got an email one day that said, you know, West Point fulfills a certain quota of enlisted men every year. And I really was trying to look for a way to get out of this toxic environment I was in. And I still at that time... I still had that idealistic belief that, you know, if you want to change things, you need to do it from the inside. And I saw and I thought, well, what better way than to become a commissioned officer and maybe not do some of the things that I saw leaders do and, and be that figure that I wish I had to look to uh, when I was a young private in the Rangers. So one thing led to another uh, and I got accepted in the West Point. And, you know, like I the, the recurring theme of I keep telling myself things will get better. Well, they didn't. And when I got to West Point, even though it was a supposedly an academic environment, I still noticed a lot of the same uh, themes that I encountered before, uh, a lot of the same behaviors and attitudes uh, towards the United States role in um, Afghanistan, Iraq and the world at large. And so I studied more intently. Uh, I, I majored in history and particularly Middle Eastern history. And if you study history critically, you see, particularly in regions like the Middle East, South Asia, Central Asia, how the United States has played a primary role in subverting popular and democratic movements, um, whether they were uh, socialist movements, communist movements, or somewhere along those lines and of varying shades. Uh, and from there, I more intently grappled with actual political theory. So Marx, Lenin, Gramsci was the one that really uh, captured me, and Fanon as well. And uh, what happened is, is I had, I would say I was something of a socialist, you know, by my sophomore year. Um, and by the time I was a junior, though, that's when I really wanted to put those political beliefs into some form of action. Uh, and I had studied abroad um, the second semester of my junior year in France, and that gave me some time to kind of distance myself from both the United States and, of course, the United States military. And that's when I realized that I really was operating uh, in a sense in a sort of conundrum because by that time I had gone through what's called affirmation at West Point. Um, the beginning of your junior year, you essentially have to sign a contract that, in so many words, tells you that uh, if you don't finish up at the academy and graduate, uh, you'll, you know, have to foot the bill of $250,000 or go to the enlisted ranks to pay off your debt. Um, and so obviously going back to the enlisted ranks was not something I wanted to do. And I didn't have 
you know, the money to foot that kind of bill. So I just mm. kept telling myself, hey, you know, I'll just find a way to, to operate within my own little space in this organization and try to find a way to influence others and prevent some of these horrible things um, from happening. Um, and then by the time I graduated and even before then, I kind of knew already that, you know, these are structural phenomenons. You know, you could, you could have the nicest guy in the world, uh, in this, in these positions of, you know, varying degrees of power, but the system itself is still inherently the problem. And until we address that, you know, you yourself are going to be beholden, uh, and in many ways complicit to the actions uh, of this organization. So, and, and that's where I was upon graduating. And, you know, when I went through infantry officer training and follow on training, I kind of got to a point where I was like, I need to find a way out of this because what I noticed about myself is that despite my misgivings, uh, with, you know, the, the military, it still affects you. It affects the way you think. It affects the way you act, even if you oppose it. And so whether you like it or not, you, you tend to start internalizing certain, um, hmm. certain ways you act or certain ways you engage with other people. Um, and, and I didn't like it. And, and I, although I had learned a lot of skills, which I think are valuable to, uh, various emancipatory socialist, uh, political movements. And there's more to that than just wink, you know, wink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I want to say there's more to it than just, you know, knowing how to shoot a gun to, sorry, my cat just, yeah, uh, walked on my keyboard, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was like, well, let me, you know, I was at Fort Benning, Georgia. I was like, let me get to my follow on duty station and, and I'll, I was toying around with the idea of maybe trying to file for a conscientious objector status. Um, but that was kind of, you know, a non-starter because I'm not, I'm not a pacifist. And, and generally speaking, unless you have some sort of religious conviction, uh, mm. of which I'm not religious, or you're a pacifist, that's how you generally are able to process those uh, claims. So I was kind of stuck and waiting for an opening. And then when the anthem debate was happening, that's kind of when I saw one. That was it. That was it. So yeah. uh, Spencer... We're uh, about to wrap up, but uh, you noted when you were talking with me before we recorded this that there was uh, something non-military and non-political uh, you wanted to bring up. You want to bring up, not me. Oh, yes. Oh, God. I can't believe you're actually taking me up on this offer. <laughs> well, uh, I am from Pittsburgh, of course, the Pittsburgh area. Hell yeah. Uh, we're friends of Pittsburgh. We love right. Pittsburgh. Yeah, and, Except. And <laughs> well, I am a lifelong Penguins fan, um, but there comes a time when when the torch is passed, and and I have to extend my my heartfelt congratulations to the Sams and the Washington Capitals uh, for you. winning the Stanley Cup. Thank you. you know? I, I I suspect Penguins fans uh, just wanted us to win because they have or are not that upset about it because they have three cups. We now right. have won, and now the rivalry is just more intense. Well, that, that's the other thing, too. I mean, like, I was legitimately – I mean, Ovi grabbing the cup for me was up there with Messier uh, and when, uh, when Bork got it in the early 2000s. I mean, how can you not uh, – if you're a fan of the game, you yeah. just delight in that moment. And at the end of the day, like, I'm a very spoiled sports fan. You know, I've gotten to see the Pens go on multiple cup runs, win it three times in my lifetime uh, – I've gotten to see the Steelers, you know, win multiple Super Bowls. And it's like, 
was like, man, give it, you know, cut the the DC sports fans some slack, man. They they are just they know nothing but heartbreak in <laughs> terms of yeah. their sports fandom. Well, we appreciate it, Spencer, and we respect your Pittsburgh game of French fries on sandwiches. Love those, yeah. love those sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you all know how to do it right. Uh, glad to have you back on our side, as if you ever never really left our side of the meme war. That's uh, right, Spencer Rapone. Where can people uh, find you or follow you if they want to uh, want to keep in touch or see what you're up to? Sure, uh, I'm on on both uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram. I'm Punk Proletarian. So if you want to follow me there and some of my musings, uh, uh, I also want to give a shout out to um, the Hampton Institute. They're uh, what's called a working class uh, think tank, and they've published some of my writings on the Syrian revolt of 1925, as well as um, hmm various critical theory and they do a lot of a lot of great work so if you want to give them a look um in addition to the other organization i've talked to about on here such as dsa and the dsa veterans working group so wow yeah i uh, might go off and read that myself and and as i noted to you earlier uh if you ever want to come to capitol hill and uh yell sir have you served sir at marco rubio we would love to be there with a camera yes yeah i'm would. already um reviewing my latin so i could give like a west wing type speech to him <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hell yeah thanks a lot spencer all right thanks for having me guys